interesting. Like, I think that this technology has provided a bit of opportunity for these two groups that didn't have much to do with each other, like the anti-tobacco movement, anti-drug movement, to sort of like center a moral panic around like a kind of a new scary thing that can work in different ways for both of them. You're listening to Narcotica, a podcast giving you the straight dope about drugs and the people who use them. United States is in the middle of a brand spaking new drug panic, and it's not about fentanyl, kratom, meth, or any of the classics. This time, it's vaporizers, e-cigs, electronic drug delivery devices. This is Zachary Siegel beaming to you from Chicago, and you're listening to Narcotica. With me today is Troy Farah, roasting in the high desert and Chris Marath from Kensington, Philly. What's up, guys? Hey. So today we are going to discuss the frenzied delirium surrounding what we will broadly be calling vaping. Since late June, there's been six deaths and 450 reported vaping-related injuries, uh, which include illicit THC cartridges. Uh, These numbers may have risen since this episode was recorded on September 12, 2019. So, like, yes, these deaths are are tragic and and serious. And, uh, you know, before we go further, we just really want to underline, you know, some context here. Like, tobacco kills 500,000 people every year. And if that number was reduced to 450 people, like, that would be a huge public health success. So, you know, we need to be keeping these numbers in mind while uh, we talk about this topic. And right now, more than 16 million people are living with uh, diseases caused by smoking. So combustible tobacco is like a fucking killer. But already, vape ban is a trending hashtag. Two major marijuana industry associations are demanding Congress take action. And the president has even suggested banning all e-cigarette flavors. In classic moral panic mode, he invoked saving innocent children from vaping. So here's a taste of some of the high quality, uh, quote, media coverage in the past week on what's being called vape deaths. Um, So from CNN, we have this headline that says, after vaping-related illness, teen now has lungs like a 70-year-old's. Fox said Texas teen who started vaping to quit smoking is now on life support, according to the mom. Uh, A great one from Healthline, is vaping deadly, question mark? But uh, the text for the HTML link is, should you stop vaping immediately, question mark? And, you know, they're just asking questions, right? Like, is the answer yes, no? It's no. And then there's this one from the American Medical Association. What's the news? Bubblegum, Fruit Loops, Mint, Menthol, and other e-cigarette flavors have been banned, at least in the state of Michigan, per an order by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. That comes on the heels of a health advisory from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention regarding an outbreak of more than 200 potential cases of severe pulmonary disease associated with the e-cigarette products. And if we put that into perspective, 400,000 plus people die every year from combustible, combustible tobacco. So we're really talking about low numbers here. 
Also from Fox, uh, Representative Paul Ray of Utah said 84% of e-cigarette liquids sold in Salt Lake County vape shops uh, test positive for opioids. I'm just not even going to go into how ludicrous and unfounded this claim is. That one was so weird. Like, what opioids could they have tested? Like, what? But okay, uh, let's just carry on. This is... And more uh, importantly, where do you get them? Yeah, yeah, right. Let me know if you find vapable Percocet, because I'm interested. So we've been following this story since it broke, and we've watched headlines evolve from mysterious lung illness to a full-blown panic about vape death. So we wanted to take the time to clear the air for our listeners. Several of you probably use jewels and vapes and maybe THC pens. Some of us do. Yeah, like I sure do. And so we we do feel like this is really important. The stakes are very high and uh you know, there aren't so there are so few places you can get unbiased, non-panicked information about what's happening with these lung infections, like which populations are affected, uh who's really at risk, which products are involved. Like these are serious uh questions in the interest of public health, so we want to get to the bottom of that uh with with uh, this episode, and to help us get there, we have Amelia Ruby Howard with us today. She's a PhD candidate studying the sociology of science and technology at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. Uh, Amelia, welcome to Narcotica. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, like we're super glad to have you on, and you know, on Twitter and online, you've been super on point with your commentary about this, you know, evolving shit show. Hi, hi Amelia. Uh, hi. Again, uh, re- repeating Zach, thanks for coming on. Um, can you start from the beginning? So the CDC, um, the Illinois De- Department of Public Health, other federal and state agencies um, have started to connect the dots and realize that some weird lung infections appearing in emergency departments were related to, quote, vaping, from the onset, um, you know, and several patients were saying they vape nicotine and THC. Uh, the latter is important because THC is currently illegal in many states. But it seems that there are three different types of lung injuries in these cases. Uh, lipoid pneumonia, um, and I'm going to probably say this wrong, but alveolar hemorrhage, and I'll, I'll let you correct that. Is it true that we're seeing clusters of these cases, and maybe could you explain what what is um, unique about those specific uh, three different presentations of lung disease? Sure, yeah. Um, I actually asked somebody about that yesterday because, um, so I'll start kind of just from the beginning of, so this started out in uh, Wisconsin and it was late July, um, a children's hospital treated six or eight patients. I forgot there's far more cases than that now but um, a cluster of patients who came in and they were just calling it um, a mysterious vaping disease. Um, And so that news broke and they were talking about um, how e-cigarettes had caused uh, these kids to get sick. And so that's when I kind of started paying attention to it because I study the politics around e-cigarettes for my dissertation. Um, And at that time, um, we weren't really like there was really no clear information about what kind of a substance it was. I think people that kind of follow stuff on nicotine have had other scares in the past where they've um, like a case of lipoid pneumonia will come up or something. And um, 
nicotine vaping, I'll get into this later, can't really cause that. So people were kind of used to like getting the blame for something that like on this technology that it doesn't normally cause, but there was also like no information on these cases. So it was even a little bit sketchy as to whether or not like any vaping device had caused them at the time. And um, the Wisconsin uh, hospital was pretty vague on that, except for saying that they had used e-cigarettes. Um, and eventually the Wisconsin Department of Public Health put out an advisory and that's when cases just sort of started to um, come up from different health departments after that quite quickly and this expanded quite quickly. Um, so um, yeah, like the CDC ended up getting involved once a few health departments had um, announced that this was happening and um, put out a big warning against e-cigarettes. Um, and this was after they'd done a press call to begin with. And again, they were just sort of talking about e-cigarettes, e-cigarettes, e-cigarettes. As this was kind of happening, you could go into the local news and see either because the health department was being more transparent about what they were finding, or in some cases, Utah is a good example, where the health department was being very vague, but you would have doctors often speaking anonymously saying, um, the focus is on THC here, not e-cigarettes. Um, and so, yeah, basically like, there's a lot that's really uncertain. And then there's a lot of stuff that we kind of seem to know. Um, the thing, just to get back to these three diagnoses, which was, was confusing to me, and I don't have a medical or scientific background, but. I know a lot of people who do and have had them kind of spell this out to me. And one of the theories, and it's, it is just a theory, but based on kind of the available information and previous case reports um, of, of like similar kind of cases. So um, what some people think might be happening is um, that there's some kind of a reaction going on and uh, what, it can, so if you get like an irritant in your lungs, um, it can cause you to have an allergic reaction. And so that's called allergic bronchitis. And as, so vitamin E acetate is one of the chemical substances that's most likely causing this or some isomer of that. Um, and so if you have that in your lungs, your immune system's gonna kind of kick in. And as that starts to happen, um, it's going to uh, like small blood vessels open and they are allowing cells to come in to kind of attack the bad thing. <laughs> Not a scientist, but that um, blood leaks out when that happens. And that's what's called an alveolar hemorrhage. Um, and then if the body's defense mechanisms can't kind of expel the toxin, in this case, probably the vitamin E, um, it can attach itself to proteins in the mucus and thicken it and cause um, the lungs to become plugged. And when enough of these air sacs get plugged, that creates a condition that's called cryptogenic organizing pneumonia, which is basically just uh, like a lot of things are called cryptogenic organizing pneumonia. Basically, like that's what they call pneumonia or these types of pneumonia when they don't know what the cause is. But it's about like when that process happens, I, I guess that that's what they diagnose it as. Then, if the vitamin E continues to dwell in the alveoli, um, it can attach itself to, itself to cells um, lining the alveoli, and those contain lipids. And so that can cause the cells to starve and die. And when that happens, those cells release the lipids inside of them, 
and that's when you get lipoid pneumonia, but specifically endogenous lipoid pneumonia, because there's also cases of people that have inhaled oil where it's an aspirational pneumonia and it's like the oil coating their lungs or whatever, and that's different. This is um, thought to be like the lipids coming from inside of the system. So the theory right now is that some of these diagnoses, it might be the same kind of vector that's happening, like the same cause, but they're being caught at different points of time. And so when this started happening, um, a lot of the early cases were um, mistaken for infection. So um, people would come in and their symptoms would prevent, like, or present like they have regular you know, old pneumonia or like a virus or something. They're given antibiotics, they go home and they don't get better and they just keep getting worse. And the way that you would treat, um, say like an irritation that's turned into um, an allergic reaction from what I understand is with steroids. And the same with organizing pneumonia. I think steroids are the regular treatment for that. And so people aren't getting steroids right away um, and the condition's worsening. And so what might be happening is that different doctors in different states are seeing the same kind of progression or the same problem progressing at different stages and it's having different, um, like it's there's different diagnoses because of it. Because if somebody gets steroids um, at the point where they're developing the hemorrhage, um, theoretically it wouldn't progress into the other two things. So that's sort of like the, um, the theory on why there's like three different, um, three different diagnoses or more kind of circulating. I don't know. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, this, that was really great uh, scientific background. I loved it. Um, so, but there are some confusion, it seems like, about what's, uh, where, these, where the cause is coming from. Some people have just made THC mm -hmm. that they bought illegally, or it's nicotine, or it's counterfeit, counterfeit vapes. Uh, some have said both. Can you elaborate on these demographics? Is it illegal? legal products, THC or nicotine or some combination? Yeah, I can. So um, there's no real like centralized source of information for this. This is where the CDC has really failed, but there's a lot of um, like quite a few now kind of individual um, studies that have been printed on different states and some state departments are um, just coming out with the information. So uh, broadly, so New York City has a or New York City, New York State has a ton of cases, and those um, are basically all under investigation for THC-related products. The same thing with California, which is, it was one of the only legal states um, to be involved with this. Um, and then, so yeah, recently, the New England Journal of Medicine published two case studies, one of which focused on a cluster of cases in Utah, the other one focused on um, Chicago, where one person had died, and Wisconsin. And so in the Utah case, um, I think, yeah, so there were six cases, and five of them said that they used THC, and two of those, in two of those cases, they said that they used nicotine as well. Um, and then the other one, it doesn't seem like the person disclosed what they were using. Um, in Wisconsin, there or Wisconsin and Chicago combined, that study was of 53 cases, and they interviewed 41 um, people. And essentially, 33 of the 41 um, said that they had used uh, THC. And I believe an additional three 
um, said that they used CBD. Um, there were 28, I believe, cases um, that said that they used nicotine, but only seven of the people that said that they used nicotine in that group um, only admitted to using nicotine. And nicotine, I believe in any cases where people have said that they use nicotine, they haven't been able to link a mechanism for like the nicotine vaping to cause that. So, um, you know, it's one of those situations where in a lot of these states, these are younger people and um, they're a lot of the times in illegal states. And there's a factor of like, are they, you know, not necessarily disclosing what they've been doing or, and, and that's actually come up in a couple, I think it was a Pennsylvania case. Somebody claimed that they were vaping nicotine and then their family found um, THC carts in their bedroom sort of thing. So, but yeah, like in, it's basically like the overwhelming majority of these cases that have been linked to a product are linked to THC. And um, according to the FDA that's been doing the testing on these products, um, the a, like a lot of them, most of them, they haven't quantified it, but most of them are linked to um, a substance inside the THC carts, which is um, vitamin E acetate. And that is kind of the working theory of what's probably causing this. Right. Like, I think it's really important that you mention how prohibition is functioning here. Like if I'm in Utah and I'm buying illicit uh, THC cartridges for some like, you know, $20 vape pen that I bought down the street that I can, you know, refill with extract or whatever, like this is illegal. And like, if a federal investigator comes over to my house and starts questioning me, I'll be like, oh, no, 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 I'm just using nicotine. Like, I'm totally innocent. Like, this is a you know, like I'm, my lungs fucking hurt, like help me, <laughs> like just don't arrest me. Like I, I like this is a huge issue and it's not being really like uh, considered very seriously, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, even it's, I, I think definitely with cannabis, that's far more of an issue, but even with nicotine, um, the way that young people in certain states have kind of been treated and the way this problem has been addressed in schools, um, even if like, Nicotine is legal um, in well, like nicotine is legal everywhere, but um, like Illinois is a good example where a lot of counties are making it illegal for minors to possess a vape kind of thing. Um, and there's just, you know, there's a lot of risks for young people to be disclosing this important information. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I would. <laughs> like, Right. Like, why would I tell like some federal investigator yeah. that I'm breaking the law? <laughs> like, yeah. um, but, but I think we should also clarify that like, you know, THC itself has been smoked for millennia without causing these like weird lung infections. Like it's clearly some something going on with like the extraction of THC or whatever it's being mixed with. Like, can you sort of maybe break down yeah. for listeners like 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 what exactly is this goop that contains THC that's being vaped that we're talking about? So, I mean, this is interesting. Like, this is the first kind of, we don't have um, THC cartridges, like, in Canada, really. So, and I always knew that this was happening just because I study vaping, that people were using um, e-cigarette-like technology to, to vape um, pot. <laughs> and, but I've never looked too much into it. And so... There's a couple things going on here with these cartridges. So yeah, like THC has been used forever and it's like 
usually very, very safe. Like even black market cannabis is usually very, very safe. Um, and so now all of a sudden you have this sort of like danger. And so one of the things that sort of started happening, I think about a year ago, um, is that they, okay, so when, from what I understand, so with e-cigarettes, it's really easy to make like vapable nicotine. Um, nicotine is water soluble and um, e-liquid is um, a mixture of propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin. Those are alcohols. They're both water soluble. Um, this stuff is widely available in like pharmaceutical grade, like for consumers or for manufacturers. Like it's basically a matter of mixing like really common chemicals that are used in a whole bunch of different applications and are food safe, pharmaceutical grade. And it's like any idiot can make e-liquid. I'll get in trouble for saying that for somebody, but it's really sort of easy. THC is a completely different story. Um, so first of all, you can't uh, get like, I don't, I'm not aware of um, a really cheap and easy way to have like water soluble THC. So you have to work with distillates which are really complex um, to manufacture if you're gonna do that in bulk. Um, and so you've already kind of got like that going on. So they've got, you know, these oils that they need to make into vapable fluids and these things. And so you do have to cut those and dilute those to a certain extent and not cut them in the way like it's necessarily a malicious thing where you're trying to rip somebody off, but cut them so that they're at the correct viscosity to be able to work with the atomization technology in a vaporizer, in a liquid vaporizer. So, um, yeah, so I'm not sure. I think it was like MTC oil is one of the things that they used to use, which I, that kind of scares me a bit, but I don't think they put enough in it to really make a difference. Or, um, PEG, which isn't propylene glycol, but it's something like that. Sorry, I don't remember the name of that chemical, but they have these dilutants that they're putting in there to make it kind of, to make it vapeable for these, um, for the THE, THC distillate pens. And so in regulated states, from what I understand, um, they're going to have purity standards and testing, and the testing is usually quite rigorous. So you're not going to get a product on the market if it has like different contaminants in it, or if it's not like up to a certain level of purity in terms of the drug. Um, on the black market, obviously, those kind of mechanisms are not present. So, um, and so what you would have is there's been other cases of this in the past where say like a fungicide or something has made people sick or sometimes like synthetics have, but in this case, um, you know, like there's just kind of a lot that can go wrong. In this case, what seems to have happened is um, when people are doing these like big manufacturing outfits of like filling these carts up with illegal distillate that may not be safe in and of itself, but like they're also, you know, they're cutting it in the way that you're supposed to. But then, you know, if there's incentive to water down your product or like, you know, make it stretch longer, um, some people are going to do that. And uh, so users would be able to tell the difference between kind of like a good and bad black market cart in terms of the viscosity of the liquid. So you know that you bought like shit product if it was really, really runny. And you'd know that you had something relatively pure if it was like thick and um, viscous. 
And that's, um, so about a year ago, um, an innovation in kind of like distillate cutting <laughs> came along where I think it's like honeycut is the one that I recognize and that, but basically vitamin E acetate has started to be used to thicken um, these cartridges. I don't know whether that's along with something that they use to water them down or just to cut it in general, to get it to the consistency um, that you would have with something kind of pure. So you, basically like what the vitamin E allows is to, um, kind of cut the drug to like a really low level of dilution, um, but it's gonna look pure to like the naked eye kind of thing because it has the viscosity because that's kind of the marker that users would kind of use to judge it. So what could be happening here is you have a product that probably I would say shouldn't be used in a vaporizer at all, um, or maybe is safe to use um, in a really small amount where it could be being put in here in like huge amounts. And I think that like the price point of some of these cartridges is a real tip off um, because I don't know how much they normally are. A friend of mine who lives in the States was saying like he usually pays about 41 or $50 for a cart. But some of these carts um, in the news reports, like kids are saying they bought them for like 16 bucks. Yeah, that like so, is so cheap that kind of, yeah. there's so much overhead going into this, like a gram of a good distillate cartridge in Denver when I lived there was like 70 bucks, right? So like that I trusted. Yeah, so I think that what's happening and um, there was, I have heard kind of just like through the grapevine that there was some sort of a shortage in cannabis on the black market. So there might not be a lot of flour to be reducing down to begin with and that people are just abusing this, um, like this cutting agent and using way too much of it. And that could be what's going on. And that could also possibly explain why, like there, I think so far there's been one case um, in Oregon where the product was tied to a legal dispensary. Um, like even the California case, I think most of those are in an illegal county, but this Oregon case, it was tied to a legal product. And I've learned that these, there are some manufacturers and like legally licensed manufacturers using vitamin E and vitamin E acetate in their product. Um, if I could jump in for a, for a sec, yeah. Um, I, I, I'd like to talk sort of about the politics of this. I mean, e-cigarettes have been vilified since the best they could do was come up with exploding batteries, right? So there's been sort of a concerted effort to, to, to you know, stop teens from adopting what is by all accounts a harm reduction, um, you know, uh, uh, product. Um, the smoking rates, combustible smoking rates, have declined considerably over the years among teens. Um, it's true that more teens are vaping. Um, I wonder if, um, you know, you know, we just don't have a tendency to 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 put the the perfect ahead of the good, right? So we're, we're making progress. Um, and yet we we insist on uh, finding a way to scuttle that progress, right? Um, is, do you think there's 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 financial incentives behind this, or is this just a moral panic? Um, no, I mean I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that the, actually the financial or the 
there's it's a combination of sort of your special interests where there's definitely um, monetary incentives and financial incentives going on there. And then there's some real like, um, you know, corporate interests. And there's um, one of the big problems with the United States um, in terms of like, this is for what I think. Anyway, I, I know people might disagree with me on this, like friends of mine who work in tobacco control, but one of the problems that I've noticed, and it was a real shock for me when I did, is that um, a lot of tobacco control work in the United States, tobacco control is kind of like your public health aspect, like brigade that deals with smoking problems. But public or tobacco control work in the United States is not publicly funded. Most of it is not publicly funded, and especially at the federal level. So um, in 2009, um, they passed the Federal Tobacco Control Act, um, which was like heavily influenced by the tobacco company Altria, which I think was Philip Morris at the time. And there's actually like a stipulation um, in that act that says that um, like tax dollars, public, public tax dollars can't be used to fund any of the FDA's activities on tobacco. And this funds all the research that's going on on e-cigarettes right now, like all of your campaign, like education campaigns, um, academic research, um, enforcement, uh, federal science and all that kind of stuff, that all comes in user fees from tobacco companies. Um, and there's no system in the United States to kind of fund this massive profession um, and massive kind of social movement type thing without cigarette money. And I mean, even other tobacco products couldn't even jump in and sort of take care of that. So I do think that there's like, when you have a product that comes along and solves a problem with another product, it's like one of those kind of situations where you have a whole kind of moral enterprise that might have built around that um, original problem that is suddenly about to be irrelevant. And this moral enterprise is very big. Like, for example, when the tobacco, so the Tobacco Control Act passed, and that's like millions and millions of dollars per year, and they do big federal ad campaigns. And then there's also the Master Settlement Agreement that came a bit earlier and established an organization called the Truth Initiative, whose sole mission is to do basically like public education. And what that really means is working with advertisers and doing these like anti-smoking campaigns. And they had some really good ones like in the beginning, um, but now they've kind of turned their sights on vaping. But one of the big beneficiaries um, from like tobacco control in the United States is the advertising industry. Like billions are spent on advertising and PR um, to combat smoking. And if smoking's not around kind of thing, it's just sort of like, what do you spend that on? And it's like, so I think a lot of like the war on vaping that kind of comes from this, like it does, it's often coming from special interests and also from industry interests, but just not necessarily the industries you think of. Like tobacco companies have been really crappy too a lot of times, but they'll kind of, you know, they'll act when they, can, like R.J. Reynolds, for example, um, in 2014, lobbied the FDA to ban open um, systems e-cigarettes. And then, you know, since then, they've kind of checked themselves in because people got really angry about that. Or Altria, for example, 
um, has had some really weird uh, anti-dueling type um, presentations that they've sent. Well, it's not theirs. It's like an organization that they fund has been going in and like, you know, warning kids about e-cigarette addiction. And they're funded entirely by a tobacco company. So like the tobacco industry gets in there sometimes and does things. And the pharmaceutical industry is similar. Like Pfizer has been kind of sneaky about this. But a lot of the special interests and the financial interests are kind of in these you know, industries that you don't really think about, like advertising or like just tobacco control in general, um, the insurance companies, like just all of these sort of stakeholders that generate revenue because smoking is a problem. Um, like yeah. there's something going on there. And the big tax thing is like, like state taxes are huge and MSA payments are huge. Like you have, a lot of your states don't pay taxes in America, and it's really easy to make money from cigarette taxes. And everyone supports them because nobody smokes. <laughs> it seems like this whole vaping panic has created an opportunity for uh, quote-unquote moral entrepreneurs, such as Kevin Sabat of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, which is an anti-weed lobbyist group. And he recently tweeted to the president, stop the hashtag pot vaping crisis and remove all THC and other marijuana-based vapes from all state markets now. And it's kind of funny that Sabat, who's totally a friend of the show, clearly doesn't understand the concept of contamination, but it's illustrative of the fact that prohibitionists are using this vaping panic as an opportunity to push against drug legalization. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I sort of noticed when I started looking into like the panic over teen jeweling. I was really used to these like very specific actors in the tobacco control space and in the um, like just just in the vaping little bubble. And all of a sudden I was seeing a lot of like anti-drug groups and a lot of just completely different like partnership for drug free kids, like just different kind of actors and a different who do different kinds of work. And there was this sort of convergence between um, anti-marijuana and anti-vaping, anti-nicotine that started to happen. And, um, you know, on one hand, you have people that are freaked out by pot. On the other hand, you have people that are freaked out by smoking and nicotine. And there's some overlap, but not really. And one of the kind of handy things with vaporizers is you can just, you know, if a parent vapes or smokes mar medical marijuana, say, but hates smoking, you can kind of like start to get them to worry about vaping in general, then come kind of back around and use that against like THC sort of thing. Like, I think that this technology has provided a bit of opportunity for these two groups that didn't have much to do with each other, like the anti-tobacco movement, anti-drug movement to sort of like center a moral panic around like a kind of a new scary thing that can work in different ways for both of them. I mean, I don't really know, but that's sort of what I've noticed. Like I really confused me as to why there was so much kind of conflation between them. Like I kept seeing like pictures of mods that were obviously like for nicotine that like, you know, on cannabis like education type things and I, I was just sort of like well why is that happening and in the tobacco control people who have really like claimed jurisdiction over this topic as like their expertise and they're getting like millions of dollars in federal and state funding to study this 
And like, they can't figure out the difference between like a dry herb vape and like an e-cigarette. And it's, it's just, you know, these guys are like dinosaurs. And like, I, I could tell that everyone reporting on this, like is who's like a boomer, like does not understand like what, what jewels are, how they're different from packs and which cartridges are refillable and which aren't like, like they just need to ask the 20 year old jeweling in the bathroom at the newsroom, like, Hey, can you help us report this? Cause like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Like all we know about are like, uh, you know, Virginia slim one hundreds and like weird ass, like cigarette stuff. Like I just am super convinced that these people are botching the coverage cause they, you know, just, just don't know. And like, which gets me back to, you know, something I want to ask you to help, you know, uh, clear some of the air is just like, if you could write a, a headline and a deck, maybe like a subhead, like, where are we at in this vape panic? Like, 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 what do we even know? And like, what don't we know? And like, what does everyone kind of need to like chill out about? <laughs> um, so <laughs> the one that I was kind of thinking is like health agencies gone wild um, and sort of lung disease outbreak linked to THC cartridge worsens as health authorities authorities recklessly blame commercial e-cigarettes. So. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't understand how that isn't a headline, like, anywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, one of the challenges for journalists, even ones that, you know, come into it, like, I think a lot of journalists just kind of are, you know, doing what their newsrooms kind of want them to do, and there's definitely a narrative here that's been very successful. But I think even for journalists that want to cover this well, it's really, really hard to do. Um, because it is a bit like out there and you do have to talk to a user in order to kind of understand it properly. Meanwhile, you have a lot of, um, you know, like charlatans, like who are really convincing experts speaking on this and they don't know what they're talking about either. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a bit of both. <laughs> and I don't know what I would do as a journalist, um, who's like hearing something from one, like from a pediatrician or something like that, that is just like crazy, but I don't really know anything about the issue. And then if I hear another thing from, you know, a 20 year old kid jeweling in the bathroom, like I think I'm gonna trust the pediatrician, but in this case, the pediatricians are like way off. Uh, I just, I, I did wanna ask uh, something and sure, then I'd be happy to. Um, I I, I guess, so I, I have spoken to many users and, and, and uh, people who own vape shops and, you know, and as a, as a cigarette smoker that's trying to quit and has transitioned back and forth, I know that it's, it's pretty technical. I mean, they can pump up the, you know, the ampage or the wattage or whatever it is, and, you know, and it, it, it looks pretty radical when they, they blow these big plumes out. Um, I, I ran into a guy in a 7-Eleven um, who was buying jewels, um, and I and I had heard a anecdotally that that jewels have like a very high nicotine equivalency, you know, when when compared to cigarette smoking, and that, and you know, and I and I asked him if if that was true, and he said, yeah, you might as well just be injecting it into my veins right now, you know. So, is there any way to verify that? I mean, do they publish that? And and should we be more concerned about the nicotine than than the pulmonary issues around this? 
Um, so yeah, basically the Juul thing is interesting because Juul does deliver nicotine very effectively. Um, I'll, it, it compares to a cigarette. It's still under what a cigarette can deliver in terms of nicotine. So nicotine content is what's been focused on here with Juul and that's not really very helpful. Um, it's more about how effective it is at getting the nicotine to your bloodstream. It's definitely not as effective as injecting nicotine, which I would never recommend anyone do. Um, but so... Chris, if, Chris, if you want to guinea pig the uh, first nicotine injection... Uh, <laughs> I think like, I've heard that just the littlest amount is, is lethal like in its purest form. But... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole... Like, there's a lot to that. Like, that that's the, I think the lethal dose, dose of nicotine, there's a really interesting paper on it that I can give you guys the link to, um, where somebody, it was a German researcher, went up and looked at how they came up with the legal, lethal dose of nicotine. And it's based on these like weird self-experiments that happened like in like the 1800s or something of like, you know, a scientist like drinking nicotine and then describing what happened. And it's so like, I think that there's some indication that the lethal dose of nicotine is really exaggerated, but nicotine is lethal in high doses, not in the dose that you'd get in a jewel. So the one thing that's really important to remember with nicotine use, and it's true of smoking and it's also true of vaping, is that um, nicotine users self-titrate and that different people have like different tolerances for what they find satisfying. And the trick with nicotine, because it's not an intoxicant, um, is really to get yourself at a level where you're like satisfied by the nicotine. You can feel its psychoactive effects, but also where you're not overdosing because it's not like the satisfying effects of nicotine don't increase with dose after a certain point. You mostly just feel sick. So right, it's just like with coffee, like I've learned that if I have one cup in the morning, and then like maybe half a cup later, like I'm good. And if I drink more than that, I'm fucking anxious and sweaty and don't feel good. Like, that's mm -hmm. what drug use uh, in responsible adults looks like you find your dose, you find what works and stay within it. Yeah. And, and if you have a, a quality product that you're familiar with, it's pretty easy to do. But then when there's you know, gigantic question marks about where this coffee came from and what kind of caffeine by volume or whatever measurement, whatever we're going by is in it. That's when you're, it's a guessing game. And that's what's happening with, with like heroin and fentanyl. That's what's happening with, with like, yeah, whatever is going on with, with this vaping stuff, like these THC cartridges filled with a bunch of junk. Like the obvious mm -hmm. solution here is to like, know what the fuck are in the products just like we do with every other product sold in this goddamn country we got one more question for you and then we'll let you go um scott gottlieb who was the former head of the fda until he resigned last spring also recently hinted according to marijuana moment that the fda should regulate marijuana to protect the public but didn't he kind of drop the ball on the FDA regulating e-cigs? That was like a big part of his tenure there. And what did what did he do right and what did he do wrong there? Yeah, um, so when Scott Gottlieb came in about like a few months after he started, he made this big announcement that he was going to, you know, revisit the FDA's approach to regulating e-cigarettes because the situation at that time was um, they were going to force 
well, now it's still that situation, but they're going to force um, all e-cigarette products to go through pre-market review, which will eventually result in a de facto ban on most products. Um, and he recognized that and said, okay, we need a better path to market and because this is harm reduction and 500,000 Americans die each year and blah, 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 and announced this big plan. And it got a lot of like pushback. And I think one of the only reasons he was sort of able to push it through and get kind of both sides on board tentatively was he, um, you know, kind of acknowledged this path for reducing the nicotine in cigarettes, which is a whole other story and not like universally welcomed by public health people. But um, he, so he did that. And then this kind of dueling panic started to build and kind of did like a reversal once he apparently, once he saw the numbers for 2018 and saw youth e-cigarette use rise, which I found really... I mean, I was never, I didn't necessarily like trust Scott Gottlieb to, you know, do a great job on drug issues, period. But, um, you know, it was just sort of this complete 180 where he sort of started to talk about youthy cigarette use as a crisis. And um, I mean, the fact of the matter is that like, yes, more teens are vaping less of them are smoking. But when we look at just these two lines, like cigarettes going down, vaping going up, it really um, kind of, it completely masks what youth tobacco use looks like. Like it masks the fact that most of it is experimental. It also masks the fact that like most experimental kids use a bunch of different kinds of products. And so really like tobacco use overall in the youth population has been relatively stable, like between like, you know, a low of 21, 22%, a high since like, you know, the early nineties of like around 30. Um, and so you've got like about a quarter of youth like endemically are using nicotine in some form or another. And what you see with e-cigarettes coming into play and cigarettes falling off is you see the practice and like the youth quote unquote market getting a lot cleaner. Um, so, but Gottlieb kind of went off with that as if that was kind of an epidemic. And I don't really, I don't know why he did that. Um, I, it's, I, I also am, I mean, I'm sure this happens constantly, but I, my background in terms of stuff like this is pretty like academic statistics-y and I have, haven't paid a lot of attention to policy issues until I started studying one. But I mean, one of the things that shocked me with the American response to this is like, you do not make policy decisions based on one year of data. Um, because especially with these questions, like these people don't even know what they're measuring. So you see like e-cigarette use go up, but like there's tons of like kind of problems with that. Like d how much of that is kids switching? What products are they using? Gottlieb went after Juul in a really kind of, I feel sort of like odd way, like to call out a company by name like that. Like I'm not a big fan of Juul, but to sort of place them as like the driver of youth use when they really didn't have any evidence that this is what was going on. Um, and when I, and when they weren't even asking kids what they were using, and I don't think their data showed that any kids were even like, most kids would buy this stuff. Like they're going to a party and taking a hit off of somebody's device. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this is like just very textbook 
American moral panic that you're witnessing, you know, and luckily it sounds like Canada doesn't have these, this same like political disease that, that we do, but, you know, to, to round this out and, and to think about, um, yeah, like people out there listening to this, like, what should they do? Like, should they go buy, like stock up on their favorite jewel cartridge flavors? Like, should they like go, you know, back to like, 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 like what's going to happen to the market? Like, obviously like predict prediction wise, um, you know, I'm not asking you to like, you know, give me like rub your crystal ball, but like, like what, like in what sense, um, like, yeah, what's your sense here? Like, where do you see this going? So I'm not sure what kind of mechanisms can be in place to fight the certain, like the ban that was announced recently, um, in terms of like, legislative action or anything like that, um, because I think Trump can just veto it and whatever. But I think that it's really important for people who depend on these products and use them to be, you know, calling legislators to be speaking out about this. Like, I think especially I'm kind of an odd duck in the vaping space because it's it's like a lot of a lot of the more vocal people and the more like paid attention to people like it's a lot of libertarians it's a lot of um you know it's there's not a lot of people like the democrats have gone after this and i know there's a ton of like more left-leaning constituents who vape but i don't i think a lot of people are kind of afraid to speak out about this because tobacco is so politicized and you don't want to seem like a big tobacco supporter or anything like that. But I think now more than ever, it's really important for people who do understand this technology and what it can do to be, you know, more vocal about using it. Like, I really think that it does to some extent have to be normalized. Um, I mean, yeah, stock up, but also sort of I would be getting educated on sort of how to be making my own e-liquids and how to continue on using harm reduction if something were to happen. I don't know how fast this is going to go through. If there's an FDA comment period, definitely comment on it. And also, you know, follow advocacy groups like um, Consumer uh, or CASA. I don't remember what they are stand for, but these groups that do legislation tracking who can at least notify you um, when something's happening in your state or nationally. Because I just think that a lot of vapors, possibly because they smoked and because smoking is a pretty sort of private thing, um, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about this. And that just allows it to become this moral panic about kids when really it's, you know, people, younger people, a lot of them, and older people who are depending on these products and they're just about to go anywhere. So, yeah. Like, Exactly. I, I would say go to your local vape store and, and have them build you a machine and, um, and start, you know, getting your liquids that way. Um, you know, because I, I think that the companies that are, that are marketing this, you know, packaged and for sale in the, in the convenience stores will be the first ones to suffer. And you know, there's there's some really knowledgeable folks out there that will spend time with you explaining exactly the mechanisms. You know, I mean, the thing that's really dangerous about this ban is that the vape shops are going to be the hardest hit. I don't know a vape shop that can survive without flavors. Yeah, and and so we'll we'll definitely put the links to those groups and to like the tracker and to and and definitely we urge listeners to follow 
um, Amelia on Twitter. She's been like super on point about this stuff. We'll, we'll link to her uh, Twitter uh, in the show notes too. And um, yeah, you, Amelia, you want to like close out on any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, not really. Just try to save vaping. Like I think that now <laughs> is the time vaping. to be speaking out about this. And also don't worry about um, the vaping illnesses if all you vape is nicotine. Um, there has been no link yet confirmed about nicotine. And just be very aware that if you use these products, um, that there's a great deal of hype about them. And just be critical about everything you read because um, the thing that really worries me about the cannabis thing and even about nicotine to some extent is that, you know, people people are getting to a place where they either believe something that's completely wrong or they don't believe anything. And um, I just think that this is one of those things where you have to just be really careful about what you're reading um, and take care that way. But yeah, the lung outbreak right now is looking like it's completely THC products. So don't, you know, go out and buy a pack of cigarettes because that's not safer. Yeah, I think that's a uh, sound advice. And, and yeah, like the point you sort of were just making is like, know what you're consuming. Like when, when I buy clothes, like I look at the fucking cotton makeup or when I look, when I get my bananas, like I want to know where it came, like, you know, just be a uh, smart consumer as best you can be, you know? Banning uh, flavors doesn't mean you can't go home and flavor your own. So, yeah, you know, I mean, Michigan's made Michigan has made that illegal for consumers. You can't have well, I don't know if this is going to make it into the final law, but in the draft version of their law, they've made it um, a misdemeanor to possess more than four flavored e-cigarettes. That's possession with oh, intent yeah. to sell. And there's jail time attached to that. Like, it's insane. Yeah. Um, oh my God. We are so fucked. But yeah. I mean, I would also just urge everyone to, um, to kind of calm down about the kids a little bit and to also like, um, think about, especially people who are older and vape if they're listening or, I mean, I think a lot of what this sort of new moral panic has done with like youth vaping and stuff is that it's introduced a lot of like policing and um, a lot of like kind of external harms um, onto young people who have always used nicotine and don't really, most of them don't use it in a problematic way. And vaping has made its way into like kind of part of that. And in the response to it, I see a lot of um, stuff that's really hurting kids, like things like suspensions or like getting kicked out of school because you're caught with an e-cigarette or having, you know, having to go to drug class or stuff because you have an e-cigarette on you. Like, this is not good for young people. And um, I think that it's important that we all, like, one of the things I don't like about the, um, the way that vaping politics have kind of played out in the narrative around it is it's sort of this whole harm reduction for, for adults versus protecting the kids from nicotine. And I really think that it's important, especially those of us who like have an independent stance in this away from the industry, to be able to kind of talk about how, you know, kids do drugs and it's important that we don't make them do it in a dangerous way while we're trying to, you know, control their behavior. And it's important that we don't punish them for something silly like, you know, vaping. Um, like that kind of thing. I think we need a bit more perspective on that. And uh, yeah, so there, I'll end it there. 
Amelia Ruby Howard, uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, definitely keep being loud and uh, we appreciate your perspective on all this. Thank you. I appreciate uh, getting the chance to talk about this. This old guy's going to go have a cigarette. <laughs> I've been drooling this whole time. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Don't inject it back. Thanks for listening to Narcotica. You can follow us on Twitter at Narcocast or on Narcocast.com. Narcotica is an independent production by Christopher Moraff, Zachary Siegel, and myself, Troy Farah. Our co-producer is Aaron Ferguson, who has just been killing it lately, and our theme music is by Glassboy. Additional music by Pictures of the Floating World. Narcotica is sponsored by Billy Bob's Big Long Slong Shape Bongs. Just kidding. That's a made-up product, I hope. In all seriousness, we don't want to clutter this program with stupid ads. So thank you so much to our Patreons who help keep this program free from corporate influence. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to help us out, join dozens of pro-drug advocates on our Patreon. Or help us get the word out. Give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. We're finally on Spotify! Tell your friends about us and carve our name into the bathroom mirror at Burger King. If you want to send us a suggestion, tell us about the medical benefits of cocaine, or just want to say hi, you can email us at tips at narcocast.com. That's all for now. Take care. <laughs>